WMQA. Hello and welcome to WMQA, the official podcast of the WMQ Comics website. I'm your host, Dan Grote. This week, Matt Lazowitz and I are talking with Tom Pyre, editor-in-chief of the newly launched Ahoy Comics and the writer of their first two series, The Wrong Earth and High Heaven. I gotta say, right off the bat, uh, I really like what these guys are doing over at Ahoy so far. The fact that you're not just getting comics, but short stories, interviews, cartoons. There's a lot of thought, a lot of care going into these books to make sure we're not just wedging another publisher onto the shelves. Uh, it's mature in a, in a different way, I guess. Uh, Tom's been in the business for a long time. You know, it was great chatting with him. You know, we go back on some old, like, late Golden Age, early Silver Age stuff, Challengers of the Unknown, the Sea Devils. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, meanwhile, what is going on over at WMQComics.com? We are making some moves. Uh, first things first, this past week we restructured the rewards on our Patreon. A uh, big part of what we want to do as a site is build up other people out there who are making comics, making things in service of comics, be it podcasts, blogs, fan art, whatever. Uh, it's part of the reason we do a regular column on our site talking about other people's podcasts. Uh, it's part of the reason WMQ&A is involved in a top-secret project that uh, hopefully I'll be able to tell you about real soon. I'm very excited about that. But anyway, my point, uh, we want to promote your stuff. And so we've lowered the thresholds for the Wall of Heroes page on our site and for plugs on our podcast to $1 and $2, respectively. Uh, we get the word out about your stuff. You help us grow so that word gets louder. Uh, so as always, thank you for your support. Thanks in general for listening, for clicking, and for sharing. Uh, but enough of that mushy stuff. Let's look to the future. WMQ Comics is going to be a Halloween comic fest on October 27th at Level Up Entertainment uh, in Mays Landing, New Jersey. Uh, my plan, my hope, is to record a WMQ&A episode while I'm there with some of the other guests, but uh, that is still very much in the planning stages. Uh, meanwhile, on the site itself, uh, Matt's got a bonus reading column coming up on four crossovers no one saw coming. Uh, Joshua Bermont's latest review is for IDW's Dick Tracy number 1. And uh, we've got one under construction for Chelsea Kane and Kate Niebchik's Maneaters number one over at Image. Uh, that book is is pretty intense. Uh, I'm going to enjoy writing that up. Uh, we also did our first convention review last week. I uh, went to Keystone Comic Con in Philadelphia two weekends ago. The latest show from Read Pop, the folks between, behind uh, New York Comic Con and Emerald City. And I shared my thoughts on the site and also uh, a little bit later in this episode. So you can check all that out at WMQComics.com. Now here's me and Matt and Tom. Well, uh, you know, as we're as we're recording this, it's it's been a week since uh, the Wrong Earth number one came out. You know, your your first, kind of first official week of, of of publishing with having stuff on the shelves. Uh, how has the response been so far for you guys? Boy, it's been good. I mean, great. People have been so complimentary and flattering and encouraging. And, uh, We've uh, we've even gotten a few old-fashioned fan letters of people saying all the right things, and uh, I've just really enjoyed it. That's fantastic. Uh, you know, kind of take us back to the the beginning of Ahoy. You know, kind of paint the scene for us a little bit. Where you know, I, I kind of picture, I mean, not real, not really, but you know, facetiously, you know, Hart Seeley and Frank Camuso approach you. It's like that part in the beginning of an action movie where they're like, "I'm putting together a team." You know, where, where are you sort of in your life, in your career when that's when that's happening? Well, I'm in a I'm in the Canadian woods wearing a flannel shirt and I'm chopping wood and I never want to see them again. <laughs> but damn, if I don't get dragged back in one more time. Uh, but it was uh, it's it was cool. It was really casual. I mean, Hart and Frank and I see each other as much as we can anyway. So it just came up 
one day that those two had talked about it and uh, Hart was retired from journalism and he had some time and Frank and I are both in comics. So he thought, let's try a company. Let's see where, where, where it goes. And it, it didn't take any convincing, I'll tell you. And from there, like, how did you guys go about sort of, you know, picking creators concept series to, to work with for the launch, you know, or, or do they just sort of naturally uh, gravitate, you know, to you, this, this, you know, initial four, uh, Wrong Earth and Captain Ginger, uh, High Heaven and uh, Snifter of Terror? It kind of, it kind of evolved. I mean, it was great that Stuart Moore got involved and he had Captain Ginger, which is a magnificent idea. And where do you see that comic? Um, space opera with cats. Who could resist that? <laughs> um, but uh, I, I was sort of tinkering in my head around with the first two, High Heaven and Wrong Earth. And they were different enough from each other that I felt like it would be good. It would be good to have those in the first wave because uh, uh, one's a superhero comic and one acts like it has never read a superhero comic in its life. And they're both parodies and satires and they're both funny, I hope. So, and Stewart's idea is magnificently funny. That's some, something we always want to set us apart is we don't want to do comedies per se. We don't want to do jokes really necessarily, although we will. <laughs> but uh, we want things to be funny on some level um, because uh, people take comics seriously more and more. And uh, we'd like to lean against that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I can't, the concept of the space opera with cats, I sit here and I look across the room and I see my cat flopped over in the middle of things. And it's like the, the concept of that cat on a high space adventure just seems inherently funny to me. Isn't it? And Stuart's cats, even though uh, the main characters are humanoid cats, but they all behave like cats. Um, and I, I could tell you some ways, but I don't want to spoil any of the jokes. No, no. <laughs> um, you know, you guys are, are openly soliciting submissions for short fiction, prose, poetry to, to fill the back matter of these issues. Um, you know, you talked about sort of wanting the comics to be, you know, fun, if not funny. You know, what is what is an ideal submission contained to your mind? And and kind of second part to this question, you know, should people go in looking to kind of top these Grant Morrison uh, short stories that have been cropping up in these initial issues? Oh, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> wow. No, don't try to top, top Grant Morrison. That's a fool's errand. Um, I'm looking, we, we are looking for a wide variety of things. We just, we just uh, bought one the other day that was not terribly funny, but it was well written and it was something we had simply never seen before. Like, uh, it was kind of a dramatic story about people where one of them did not turn out to be a robot. It just was itself. <laughs> and, uh, and we loved that. So the best thing you can do is surprise us. The best thing you can do is write well and surprise us. Uh, there, we do lean toward, I have a hard time saying funny because it doesn't, like I say, it doesn't have to be jokes. Mm -hmm. 
But if there's just some level of it that's that's not taking itself seriously or is witty or is, is I always say, uh, uh, I laugh harder at shows like uh, TV shows like Better Call Saul or Fargo than I ever could at a sitcom with like where they stop the story every 20 seconds for a wisecrack. Mm-hmm. So when we say funny, we don't mean funny. We mean funny. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, it's it's that sort of clear distinction between humor and comedy, I think. Yes. Right. Yeah, I think, yeah. That's a the much better com- way to put it. The humor comes from the situation versus an yeah. elbow in the ribs. And see that? See that? That's right. funny. And, and a twist is nice. It is nice to have a twist. And they're all they're short, short stories. I mean, we probably max out at about 16, 1700 words, which is not a lot for a story. And we'll take... We'll take one that's as little as like 600 words, which you can breeze right through. Um, uh, so in, in, in reading that? these, do you do you kind of look to is, look to match them somewhat with with the titles that you have, or does not you know not really matter in the face of it? It's more you know. I tried that a little bit, and it was wrong to do. I, one thing I really don't like about um, a lot of text features that have been in comics is they feel like homework. Like you have to read it to thoroughly understand the story that's in the front, which, so just to not even give anyone that perception for an instant, I, I would like them all to be different from each other and maybe have nothing to do with the comic book you're reading. The, the only, the only distinction I make is maybe ginger and, uh, uh, Wrong Earth might have some younger readers than the other two. Mm-hmm. So we'll save all the bad words for the other two. There's a uh, there's a pulpiness to that. Because I, I know, not that I've read a ton of pulps, but I've read a lot of shorts that were in pulps. And the, the variety, and you'd get the longer pieces and the shorter pieces. I mean, mm-hmm. some of the best Richard Matheson short stories are three or four pages long with that mm-hmm. beautiful twist at the end. Our, our national inspiration were, were these um, stories that ran in comic books before there were letter pages because they had to have two, three pages of text to qualify for cheap postal rates. And that's why we ended up with letter pages. But before that, we had stories and they were you could tell from reading them that they were written as fast as possible by people who were paid as little as possible. Um, so we looked at those and we thought, what if they were good? <laughs> so that's what we're trying to do there. Um, yeah, Stan Lee's first publication was a two-page prose Captain America story. Yeah, I, I was thinking exactly that when you said it. Yeah. So, uh, well, maybe we'll. Uh, he's welcome to submit. <laughs> he has experience. Um, speaking of people with experience, you know, we mentioned Grant Morrison's writing these short stories and sort of the, uh, the initial issues. Um, how did he end up kind of being brought into the fold here? I, uh, Grant's a really successful and busy and interesting and wonderful person. Certainly. And, uh, uh, and he's working on a TV show these days and I'd, for, I'd have to go back and look at my emails, but I think 
out of the blue, I'm, I might have sent him an email asking him and, and I was uh, pleased and a little surprised when, when he was all for it. He said yes, and he wanted to do that. He'd been thinking about doing something just like that. He loved text pages and comics, and he, he loved the idea of funny ones. And uh, and he got them to us right away. I mean, he he got into it. That um, that first short in uh, Wrong Earth that just like spends all this time going into all the the, the tattoos. Uh, on his body in that like absurdist manner where it's the grim reaper but it's also like an alternate take on on you've got mail um yes yes (laughs) it's that is hud hornet it is such a great story and it's it's it distills my favorite thing about pulp adventure stories which is that like in a doc savage or the spider in a in a sentence where the hero appears it's like a prayer it's just all praise like Doc Savage never appears in a sentence that he doesn't excel in somehow. Um, he never walks across the room. You know, he glides like, I don't know what, I don't know what he glides like. I'd have to look it up. But um, there's, there's never a sentence with his name in it where he's not doing something or capable of something or displaying something extraordinary. And so Grant just took that idea, I think, and, uh, just set it on fire it's fantastic um to start with uh you know how how big a uh you know how big of a staff are you guys working with well uh we have uh if you mean editorial staff yeah yeah i'm here uh darren bennett uh is uh our assistant editor, he's great, dynamic Darren Bennett. Um, he's a name you've seen around for a long time doing production and lettering. And Certainly. Through his company and world design. And uh, uh, Stuart is editing his own title, uh, Captain Ginger, which June Brigman and Roy Richardson are drawing, and it looks great. And so editorially, ed- Owen oh, Hart, Celia, our publisher, uh, is sort of the first responder to the text stories. And uh, uh, he's he's the wall you gotta get through. And um, Frank Camuso is always there to, to like get advice from and opinions from and really valuable and ideas from. Um, and so, and we have uh, a wonderful lawyer Lillian Laserson, who was Batman's lawyer for a long time, worked up at DC Comics. Mm-hmm. And David Hyde doing publicity, who's done an amazing job for us because you've heard of us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, we freelancers, uh, writers and artists and colors, colorists all, all over the world. And, oh, Rob Steen is doing our production and almost all of our lettering. He's great. Obviously, if this is a piece of the pie that you can't speak to, you know, that's fine. Um, you know, how how has how have things gone so far in kind of uh, talking with, with retailers and kind of getting those guys on board uh, as far as, you know, building interest in, in, in stocking the books, uh, you know, in, in traditional comic shops? Well, you know, we uh, we're in with Diamond. Um, Every uh, 
we have had interactions. We can't go to every store, but we did go to every store because we sent every comic book store two copies of The Wrong Earth, number one. So uh, I, I'm, I'm thinking that probably made some kind of an impression uh, in addition to what they'd ordered. And if they hadn't ordered any, they got some anyway. That's great. Um, so I think we're going to hear, uh, I think we'll hear about reorders on Wrong Earth 1 this week, and I'm hopeful that, because uh, there sure seemed to be a lot of people saying they were going to reorder it from their retailers. So we'll see. That That's excellent. And you guys are also doing uh, New York Comic Con this year, correct? Yeah, we're doing Baltimore first. That's oh, great. Uh, the end of next week. We'll be there. We're going to have a, a table and a panel and, and all that stuff. We'll have a panel at New York Comic Con, mm-hmm. um, but we won't have a booth or a presence beyond that, really. But our panel's on Thursday night at, uh, i got to look it up. I think it's 645. Kind of looking, looking ahead in the immediate, uh, you know, the next bo- uh, book out from you guys, uh, High Heaven, uh, which you wrote, is about a serial complainer who goes to the afterlife after a piano falls on him, which is g- great classic cartoon tragedy. Um, if uh, that's how I'd like to, go. I'd like to go that way. <laughs> the last thing you hear is that, just that chord. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go like the end of that uh, that one Tom and Jerry where the dynamite is in the piano. <laughs> <laughs> um. Personally, I want to hold up the little sign as I'm off the edge of the cliff and look down. And <laughs> why? As your body stretches and your neck elongates. Yep. Wild E. Coyote. Super genius. I like the sound of that. This is a short story for you guys to pitch us, man. Uh, <laughs> somebody who arranges deaths in cartoon fashion Ooh. <laughs> challenge accepted <laughs> yeah uh, one thing i i i, I noted in the, in the book is um you know saint peter uh i get very uh you know was there i, I was curious whether there was a uh, a physical model for that particular character because you know he's got that very tall imposing bald uh you know bearded build to him uh, you know, per, from my from my own frame of reference, it was very Jeff Bridges in Iron Man, but uh, you know, uh, obviously, other uh-huh. mile, mileage may vary. You'd have to ask Greg Scott exactly, but in my head, he was trying to evoke like this really cruel, hardcore old gangster in a modern movie. Um, but uh, as far as if he had any particular actors in mind, I don't know who. Okay. Um, you know, but, uh, before the launch, uh, you had done a uh, quick Q and a with our site and, and I'd asked you what success looks like for Ahoy and, and, and you replied partly, uh, a piece of it was, uh, making John Lehman cry. And then, in, yes, yes. Uh, in the first letter column in high heaven, number one, uh, uh, you know, uh, the response to, uh, Lehman calling himself the uh, captain of the USS awesome was, uh, saying, I thought Lehman was the captain of the USS cat shit. So I'm curious how long have you guys been such good friends? <laughs> oh, golly, golly. We met, um, we've been good friends for about oh, 13, 14 years, maybe. Um, and we worked together before that. We liked each other that. But, uh, we ended up living in the same city. 
long about 2004 or five, and we we started hanging out together a lot. And now the only way we communicate at all is by insulting each other on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> and it's very satisfying. <laughs> I liked, I'm pretty sure my insults are better than his. Ah, that's great. Um, you uh, you got your start uh, or very early earlier in your career. You were a political cartoonist, and uh, Hart and Frank also have a mix of cartooning, satire, journalism, and their backgrounds. Uh, mm -hmm. What makes good political humor in 2018 when the general tone of the discourse has evolved to the point where it feels like everything is constantly on fire? Well, I don't do political humor in 2018. Sure, sure. Um, and I'm glad, and I wouldn't. I wouldn't for anything because uh, it feels like there's a waterfall or a fire hose of jokes about politics all day and all night, every day. And I have no idea how anyone would come up with something fresh or stand out in any way um, between, you know, like everyone on the internet, including me and late night hosts and and even the way they report the news on, on the standard, it's all, it's just all everybody's being like funny about politics, which I guess is kind of the only way you can sort of respond to it now. But if everybody's doing it, that sort of makes the political cartoon unnecessary, it feels like, doesn't it? Um, getting into some of your past big two work, you've obviously got a strong background in superheroes and the wrong earth mm -hmm. is a reflection of the, the tropes of the genre, both, you know, in the silver age and, and in the modern age where things are a little bit grimmer, grittier, etc. Uh, when you started reading comics, you know, who were the, the, the heroes and the kinds of stories that you gravitated toward? Oh, well, I've always been a comics omnivore. I just love comics and I love a variety of comics. Like, I never understood these people who like, well, I'm not going to read DC. Marvel's so great, you know, or why would I read Marvel? I don't know if those people really exist or if they just say they exist. <laughs> but uh, when I was done with the DCs and Marvels, I'd pick up these just really crappy comics from third party companies, you know, <laughs> like Charlton and American Comics Group and stuff. Because uh, I just wanted to see it all. Um but I was, uh, I'm, I'm a thousand years old, so I was there basically at the beginning of Marvel. Like my first issue of Spider-Man was, I think, number five. I know it was number five. Wow. Same with my first issue of Fantastic Four. And they were still really humble and really small and really weird. And it was this mom and pop thing. Mm -hmm. And I just got to watch it grow with my own eyes. And that was pretty exciting. Um, uh, I was thinking today about how the, the whole Ditko run on Spidey was like my reading of it. It took me from like the age of nine to 12 and then it was over, which seems fast to me now, but it lasted forever then. Um, but, I, and even then I could tell, I could almost tell, it wasn't long before I could tell, like at DC you had a variety of editorial styles. They had all, all these editors with like different artists who worked differently and told different kind of stories. Mm 
and that led to a lot of really bad comics and some great ones. Um, at Marvel, everything, even though you had geniuses like Kirby and Ditko, uh, particularly when they fell away, there was the house style, and every kind of Marvel comic was striving to be like the same great comic, you know? And uh, I, I've always preferred the variety and the surprises, even if it means you're going to read something bad. So I, that's kind of reflected in Ahoy, except the part about reading something bad, which you will never do at Ahoy. Yeah, your DC work, there's a lot of variety. I mean, I've read a lot of it. Uh, I read Our Man, which was tremendous. Thank and you. oh, you're welcome. And actually, recently, uh, unrelatedly, unrelated to this interview, but just kind of coincidentally, I've been tracking down at conventions and things the run on Legion you and Mark Way did the reboot, uh, which I'm loving. Thanks. Oh, you're welcome. Were There's you a lot a, to collect. Yeah, yeah, there is, but you know. You, I'm at that point, my, Batman was always my thing, but I've kind of reached that point with my collection where the stuff that I'm left with is the stuff that's kind of out on the the edges of uh, the prices I can afford. So I'm right, now right. kind of like looking for just fun runs, and the Legion is just something that was not necessarily a complete blank in my DC knowledge, but was less... I had read less Legion than I'd read Batman and Superman and Flash and Green Lantern. And I came into that uh, that incarnation, that Legion reboot incarnation, towards the latter part of it when uh, Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning were doing it. And so now it's like, I want to go back and I want to track down that earlier stuff. And it's great. Uh, but I'm curious, DC hasn't had a ton of luck with the Legion in the past five or six years, it seems. Uh -huh. And as someone who worked for such a long time on the Legion to you, does it feel like there's something they're missing? Is that a book that had its time and needs to sort of be re looked at in a more modern sensibility, or is it more that it needs to be maybe looked at in an older sensibility to embrace the fun of it again and the fun of comics again? First of all, congratulations on finding my work because it is they're they're going to be the cheapest old comics you ever find. So you put yourself in a really good spot with that. And I say that without any bitterness. I'm happy to be cheap. Um, second, this isn't going to this does not reflect well on me. But maybe other writers can say this as well. But once I've worked on a project, I stopped thinking about it for the rest of my life. And um, it's the same with favorites like Doom Patrol and Legion. And uh, once it just feels like, and, you know, you don't, it just, it feels like hanging out with your ex-wife or something. Yeah, I get that. I can see where yeah. you're coming from. Yeah. Yeah. So if anybody knows what to do with Legion, in 2018 it's not me because i haven't i love the legion but i haven't given them a thought really a serious thought in a long time absolutely fair answer i can completely i completely see where you're coming from on that one um let me let me ask you this though uh what what are you reading uh you know what are you what do you find yourself reading these days and it, it, i mean it doesn't necessarily have to be limited to comics of course 
Right, right. Well, comics are good. Huh? Certainly. I uh, I really like Border Town, the new Vertigo comic. If you yeah. guys have seen that, it's really good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I've been reading, uh, I was reading Dorothy Parker yesterday because I saw recently it was, it was like the 125th anniversary of her birth. Hmm. I thought I should read some Dorothy Parker and it's really good. She wrote some really, really well-written short stories. Um, I am reading, uh, I'm reading old challenges of the unknown stories. And do you know why I'm reading them? Because when I was a kid, I didn't, I didn't care. I didn't care anything about them. So I thought all I can really go back to that seems fresh to me is the stuff I hated when I was a kid. <laughs> and I'm really enjoying it. <laughs> Is this the, um, the, the Kirby era or, or a little bit? Oh, the whole one? thing. You know, all of it. All of it is kind of bad and kind of great. <laughs> uh, I can read, you know, st the stuff I hated when I was a kid and didn't want anything to do with is stuff that, like, a real adult could do. Like, I didn't want to read Cave Carson, like, uh, just digging holes in the ground because it's just, <laughs> it seemed too much like, something a human being could do. I had no interest in human beings. And, uh, even Rip Hunter, you know, he has a time machine, but once he gets there, he's just a person. Um, stuff like that. So I've been actually kind of like digging into stuff like that. Uh, have you hit the sea devils yet? Because that, that, that completes have, the I four have. of them. <laughs> I have. I have. Oh, I'm glad you mentioned the sea devils because they're the worst example. <laughs> Good. How many people do you know? Have you known in your life who skin dive? Oh, yeah, more than one, more than zero. <laughs> I don't want to read a comic book about them. But there's a there's a wonderful two issue run where artists. This is when Robert Kaniger is writing it, and I love Robert Kaniger. Yeah, and uh, artists are auditioning to draw it, and they come into the stories and meet the sea devils and say, I'm going to draw your next adventure, and they tag along with him. And it's like uh, Joe Kubert and Gene Colan and Irv Novick and uh, one more. I I'm, I'm blanking on it, but I was like Jack Abel or somebody. But anyway, they go along on the adventure with the sea devil, and they're underwater with a pad and paper and pencil. And... Uh, with no explanation. But Irv Novak got the job. Hmm. Beat out those hacks. G Joe Kubert. <laughs> and we never heard from Gene Colan again. <laughs> never. Never. But I commend you to those issues. They are they're really mad. Anything Kaniger wrote was crazy. When you think about it, he wrote Wonder Woman metal men and the war that time forgot all at the same time and they all had the same artist wow yeah i hadn't thought of that yeah that um that that sort of late golden age early silver age is such a yeah it's such a fascinating time because you can just tell the whole industry is kind of like scrambling to to feel its oats and moving from like westerns to romance to monster comics until you know they finally kind of hit that sweet spot Rex the Wonder Dog is one of my favorites these days. That's another, there were some Kaniger stories in that too, where 
Rex the Wonder Dog has some pretty poetic thought balloons, but <laughs> basically they would build every story around one image, and it would be like <laughs> Rex the Wonder Dog using a parachute, Rex the Wonder Dog on water skis, <laughs> and he, which he'd have to do to like save people. Or there's one where he's driving a car. He actually puts his paws up and turns the steering wheel. Uh, I recommend Rex the Wonder Dog. It's excellent. Um, uh, kind of skewing quickly, uh, you know, back to the present here. Uh, one of the, the backup strips in uh, High Heaven uh, were introduced to the team of Hashtag Danger. Uh, curious, first of all, whether we are we are going to see these guys again, or if they were a one-off story. Oh no, they're in every issue of High Heaven. Um, they are probably have something to do with why I've been reading C. Dale Holson <laughs> <laughs> and and like regular normal, unsuper people like that. But yeah, they'll be in every issue. Okay, we're following a formula with. Uh, Hashtag danger. A very strict five minutes of this. They're five page stories. Mm-hmm. And it's two pages of like pulp science fiction adventure, followed by three pages of them being terrible to each other. Because they're not they're all there for different reasons and they're always fed up with each other. As you saw in number one, I think. And next issue, I'm gonna tell you now, I'm gonna give you a scoop. Please. In high heaven two. They get an alien pet. <laughs> and are terrible to it. No, um, you know, <laughs> yes, it, uh, you know, what, uh, <laughs> uh, it is sort of the, you know, was sort of the overall concept. Like let's, let's kind of recreate. Cause you can tell sort of in the, in the, in the way that, you know, the paper looks and everything like that, that it's meant to be sort of, you know, an homage to those kind of late golden age, early, early Silver Age adventurer stories, but, you know, with millennials. You know, am I, you know, am I missing the word? Well, yeah, oh, because they're, yeah, I, I don't really think in those generational terms. I mean, I use okay. some modern ideas in there, mm-hmm. but I tend to think that pitting generations against each other is kind of missing the point when uh, what we really have to do is destroy the upper class. However. I like it. <laughs> yeah. Um, the uh, uh, you, you can think of like the challengers and the sea devils and stuff with hashtag danger, but also like the thunderbirds. Mm-hmm. I just want to go back to that sort of era of like these sort of stiff, upright heroes who are doing a job that is supposed to be fantastic, but it's actually kind of boring because it's just people doing it. And or in the case of thunderbirds, puppets. Mm-hmm. And, um, <laughs> So the yellow, the, the yellow papers in there. And by the way, Chris Jeruso does a job on this thing that's unbelievable. He just makes them so funny and adorable and despicable all at the same time. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, uh, Tom, as we're wrapping up, uh, this is the question we always ask, uh, kind of close out asking our guests. How can people follow you online if you, in fact, wish to be followed? Uh, at Tom Pyre on Twitter, T-O-M-P-E-Y-E-R. And uh, I have a Facebook page, too, called Tom Pyre. But Twitter's better. I don't go to Facebook much. But I try to I try to tweet out funny things a lot. But lately, it's 
we've had a lot of promotion to do on Ahoy Comics because we just lost launched uh, last week. So it's been a little less funny, but I'm going to try, try to make it funny again. All right. Well, Tom, thank you very much. Thank you. Pleasure talking to you. Thanks a lot. W-A-Q-A. Don't go anywhere yet, gang. Uh, at this point, Matt and I get into a little convention chat uh, talking about Keystone Comic Con. So enjoy this little uh, bonus bit. W-A-Q-A. You know, the big thing with Keystone was that, you know, this was put on by Repop. You know, it's the New York Comic Con guys, C2E2, uh, Emerald City, you know, your bigger shows. And I was kind of surprised just walking onto the show floor and seeing space yeah there i mean it was it it felt like it wasn't designed to be as big and intimidating as a new york or a c2e2 was it it seemed like it was designed to be maybe a slightly smaller show at least for the first year i mean it is the first year yeah, no, it is the first. It is the first year, and okay. So I think about this. You know, I live right outside Atlantic City, and I have watched Atlantic City struggle to keep a con for like four years now. We got two years of the Atlantic City Boardwalk Con in in twenty fifteen and sixteen. They went away. Then we got something called the Atlantic City Fan Expo that wanted to do a con a week every summer folded after three weeks this year we got garden state comic fest which at least you know these guys came in with a track record they've been doing a small show in more small to medium-sized show in morristown for like five years now and they came in and they did a small to medium-sized show at the showboat and i think you know at that point the bar had been set pretty low but i don't think they came in with a gigantic hype machine saying, you know, we're going to put on the biggest thing ever. I think that what we got was exactly what we expected. When I came, we come to this show and you look at the pedigree of the showrunners. I mean, there's, there's a, there is a bias that comes with, comes with that. That having been said, like I wasn't necessarily disappointed with anything I saw or did at the show. I had a good, show experience i you know i don't want to speak for you i think you know but you know we were walking around the floor together you know i mean how how did it go how did it go from your perspective i'm not gonna put words in your mouth (laughs) yeah no i had a i had a great time i mean for it's interesting for me when i go to a con i'm almost always there for the comics guests shows that are very media heavy don't tend to appeal to me this is the first time i have actively stood online for media guests but that's because they were voice actors and that's something that i really dig i mean i got to meet kevin conroy i met batman that's that's a you know life goal check and and rob paulson and maurice lamarche i mean pinky in the brain again two of my favorite voice actors that was such a cool experience exactly and had it been you know had it been a bigger show maybe we wouldn't have had the time but you know we actually got to like converse with both of those guys for you know quite a while and they were at, you know they were lovely i talked to somebody on twitter who went to the show on friday only and they said you know they walked right up to Catherine tate 
you know, from Doctor Who with like no line or anything. So, you know, certainly that is, you know, that that's a that is a positive. And I also will say uh, very much enjoyed uh, the Roddenberries, that band that they had playing uh, <laughs> yes. on the stage there. Uh, very entertaining and, and you know decent decent artist Sally. Yeah, I mean it was small, but there were a nice balance of creators. People were the people were very nice. Yeah, we got. I mean, we the fact we got to sit there and chat with uh, Fabian Isiaza for a bit. There wasn't that usual giant Deadpool line where you feel like. I mean, Fabian, we've met him before, and he's always gracious and he always chats for a bit. But there's times when you've got some of those lines with mid to big name creators where it's like i want to chat with you some more but there's this line and i don't know if i can how i feel about holding up the line by wanting to chat with you for a bit that's a nice experience no no certainly uh you know absolutely uh and also i had never i had never seen greg capullo at a show so i got to talk to greg capullo for a little bit and we just talked about metal for a few minutes that was nice yeah. I mean, I think I think if people are expecting every con to be New York sized or San Diego sized, they're always going to be disappointed. There's only so many shows that can be gigantic. And I think there's those of us who prefer a more intimate show. Yeah. And and certainly I don't I don't want it to be New York. I think, you know, New York can be overwhelming. I'm, I'm going back there this year. I haven't been in like eight years. Maybe that's changed. It probably has only gotten worse. But, <laughs> you know, I, I guess I was, you know what I was looking for? I, I think I was looking for more of, of an Emerald City experience or a Baltimore experience. Mm. You know, and I, I think why target Philly, which already has Wizard World? If you're not going to go big, you know, because if you're going to put a redundant con in a city, like theoretically you want to compete, right? Yeah, that is, that is a perfectly valid point. Also, how do you do a show the same weekend as Small Press Expo? Yeah, yeah, there is that as well. Uh, it's interesting. I mean, it is, it's a first year con by a company that has been running multiple cons for a long time. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure where their decision making was for having it on a fairly competitive weekend counter programming or what, but it's, I, I had a perfectly nice time and I'm hoping that Reed doesn't sort of white, uh, wash their hands of this and say, okay, we tried, it didn't work, let's move on. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, certainly, I, I, I think there's, you know, lessons to be learned uh, all around. But, you know, again, I, you know, just, just to stress, because it sounds like I'm just dumping here, you know, we had a very good time. <laughs> oh, definitely. Definitely. I, I will, this will be a, this was a memorable convention. I got to meet some cool people. There was some cool stuff walking around. It was, I had a, I had a real good time. Yeah. And, you know, one thing I'm, I'm very thankful for is that, you know, my family actually enjoys like 
you know, tagging along and, and having fun. You know, my son got dressed up in a Spider-Man costume and a baseball cap and, you know, he's like a little cosplay star. He'll end up, you know, just taking photos with people uh, like the guy that was dressed like Bob Ross walking around, <laughs> walking around. Yes. That was awesome. You know, uh, so I I definitely kind of appreciate that, uh, you know, that aspect of it. You know, I always feel, I always worry that like, you know, my wife comes to these things with me, you know, we take our son, we take the kids and like that she's like not, not having a good time. And I'm, I, you know, and I get nervous about it and I'm like, you sure you're okay? You're all right. Can I get you something? She's like, no, damn, I'm, I'm fine. I'm happy to be here. <sighs> but, uh, yeah. yeah. Um. End segment. <laughs> That's it for this week's show. As always, you can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and at WMQComics.com, where new episodes move Monday mornings. You can support WMQ&A and WMQComics.com at Patreon.com slash WMQComics. You can follow WMQComics on Twitter and Facebook, and you can follow me on Twitter at Daniel P. Grote. Finally, check out WMQComics.com for all your comics news, previews, reviews, interviews, and plain old views, and we'll see you next time. WMQA.